Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio's own Freddie and Fitzsimmons, weeknights at 9 p.m. Freddie, I missed you last week. How are you? I'm good, my brother. How's everything with you as we get closer and closer to the end of the summer? Getting closer and closer to the end of the summer, getting close, closer and closer to football season. We are 11 days now from the Patriots opener, and I want to play you a small clip of something that kind of – actually, it doesn't kind of bother me. It really bothers me. This is our guy, Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, talking about the Patriots season. It's a short clip. I want your take on it. Development because I really believe this season is a bridge year for 2023. I don't want to hear bridge year. This team made the playoffs last year. Cam Newton was the bridge year. What the hell is this bridge year? What do you think of that? But it is, Brady. It stems from the fact that people are worried about who's going to be calling offensive plays when it comes to Mac Jones going into his second year, and a lot of people are panicking by what we saw in the last preseason game against the Las Vegas Raiders where they looked sloppy, they looked unorganized. And Mac Jones did not look like the quarterback we thought we were going to see take a jump up in year number two. So that's where that comes from as far as I'm concerned. Now, I'm a big believer in this. What you see in the preseason, what you hear about in the preseason, doesn't mean that's going to be the case in the regular season, especially with a team that still has a good amount of talent, even though they don't have that difference maker on the outside of wide receiver to help out the quarterback when it comes to Mac Jones. It's going to be very interesting how they're going to be able to align this offense to make sure that he does not regress in his second year. And they're going to try to do this, Brady, without a guy who's a really terrific play calling, Josh McDaniels, now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. So that's why you get the sense that people don't want to hear that and why Tom Curran felt the need to say that based on what he has been able to see, especially in that last preseason game versus the Raiders. What do you think a successful Patriots season looks like? Boy, that's a really good question because the easy answer is getting back to the playoffs in the first two years of Mac Jones it's going to be a little tougher because I believe the Dolphins are going to be improved and this is the Buffalo Bills division. There's no doubt about that. There's always that one team that we don't see coming that can take a playoff spot from a team like the Patriots who made the playoffs last year. I think if this team can get the 9 or 10 wins, and that's a successful season because they still don't have the talent that Kansas City has or the Chargers have or even the Raiders, definitely not the Bills, and even the Dolphins right now from a talent standpoint on both sides of the football are more talented team than the Patriots. You can say the same thing about the Baltimore Ravens. You can say the same thing about the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns and the Sean Watson as their quarterback. You could definitely say the same thing about them. So there are plenty of teams that the Patriots, in terms of having difference makers, they're really behind in the AFC. If they're able to get the 9 to 10 wins and threaten a playoff spot in a loaded AFC, that should be considered a successful season because they still need that guy on the outside that can help out the quarterback. What do you think heading into week one? Obviously, we're going to do this again next week, and we can ask you the same question. But based on what you've seen and what you've heard about the Dolphins, what do you think uh, that, that week one matchup looks like? Here it is where you got two guys who are in the same quarterback room at Alabama, and there's a lot of pressure, but we know there's more pressure on Tua Tungabailoa. I want to see if this Dolphins offense can really not lie to us because so far they told everybody with somebody – with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, we got playmakers on the outside, and Tua Tungabailoa is going to find these guys a lot better than anybody could have anticipated or even think of. I want to see the Dolphins are going to lie to us, and if that's not going to be the case, and then he's going to be checked down to it because he can't get the ball down the field. That's the one thing I want to see from them. And what I want to see from the Patriots is not just what kind of play calling and who's going to call the plays, but how they're going to let Mac Jones maybe enable himself to open up the offense a little bit more because if I'm the Miami Dolphins, 
I'm squeezing all those short intermediate routes, and I'm betting that Mac Jones can't beat us over the top because there's nobody out there that can separate from the defensive backs from the Pages wide receiver core. I'm making him try to make me beat me deep with the football, and if he can't do that, it's going to be a lot of slogging for that Pages offense that could be setting the tone in week one. You know, we can do more football next week. I want to move over to the local flavor of the week, and that's that UVM men's basketball had their non-conference schedule released. 15 games, several of which are incredibly difficult. They're going to face six, at least six NCAA tournament teams from a year ago in their first 15 of the non-conference. I ask you, Freddie, as a fan, which UVM non-conference game would you rather go to? At USC, at Miami, or would you rather accompany them to the Bahamas at Thanksgiving? Oh, Bahamas at Thanksgiving. I mean, nothing against California and Florida, but you get a chance to go to the Bahamas for Thanksgiving. Only good is going to come <laughs> out of that. It'll be the best turkey you've ever had because you're having it among beaches and sand and great weather and watching basketball. You get a chance to accompany UB and basketball to the Bahamas. Nothing against California, nothing against Florida, but Bahamas is going to beat that each and every time. You, I had a fan tell me that, uh, let's see, UVM, six NCAA tournament teams from a year ago, and given how good Brian appears to be, someone said, oh, maybe the America East could be a two-bid league. Freddie, can you tell the people that the America East will never be a two-bid league despite how good UVM or Brian is and how good their non-conference schedules might be? Well, I don't have to tell it, Brady, because you already did, and the only way that's going to happen would be if one team pulled a St. Joe's where they go undefeated in the regular season and then maybe lose the conference semifinals or the conference finals. That's the only way you're going to see a two-bid league from the two-bid team, two teams going from the American East and being a two-big league because those things don't happen. I can remember the last time it happened was in the MAC where they had Manhattan and and St. Peter's made the NCAA tournament because St. Peter's won the conference tournament then Manhattan upset Florida in the first round of the NCAA tournament back in the 90s. Those are outliers more than anything else because normally if you're a two-bit league from a major from a mid-major conference, that's usually the Mid-American Conference, the Mountain West Conference. That doesn't happen to the Patriot League or the Northeast Conference or the MAC. It's definitely not going to happen in the American League. I think – I know we don't use the RPI as much anymore, but I think last year the American East had a conference RPI of 24, and the lowest-ranked conference to get two teams – was 10th. So there's a significant gap there between two bid leagues. Yeah, because look at all the power conferences, and that's only going to increase with USC and UCLA on their way to the Big Ten. You got Oklahoma, Texas on the way to the SEC. We don't know what's going to happen, what's going to shake out with maybe Pac 12 teams. Some may go to the Big Ten. If anything, that reduces even more of a chance of a two bid league getting those kind of opportunities and maybe getting that consideration from the NCAA Tournament Committee. So if you're a non-power conference, if you're a mid-major conference, being a two-bid league, you can forget about that and let that balloon go because the landscape has dictated that it's not going to happen in big-time college basketball. You know, I don't pay attention to what other low- and mid-majors are doing. I'm sure others of them do do things like this. But UVM opens up their season at home with one game. Then they go to California for three games against St. Mary's, Cal State Fullerton, and USC, three tournament teams from a year ago. Then they fly 3,000 miles back to play Iona in at at, uh, at Mohegan Sun. They play Yale uh, in Connecticut also. And then they go to the Bahamas five days after that. That's a lot of travel for a low-major team. That's a good, That's an insane schedule because a lot of – Big-time teams don't play that kind of schedule, but if you're a University of Vermont, the fact that teams still want to play you after the success you had lately says a lot about what they've been able to do 
as a mid-major program because normally mid-major schools like that, they get hung up by big major schools where they don't want to play them because they want to get embarrassed on their home court. I go back to about four years ago where UCLA scheduled Hofstra. Hofstra beat them, and then Hofstra could not get a phone call from anybody after that because they didn't want that to happen to them. The fact that so many teams look at UVM and say, yeah, that's a quality team. It's quality competition. We'll take a chance that we might lose to this team and get the folded arms routine from athletic director on Tuesday for losing to a team from the University of Vermont. But the fact that they have that kind of ambitious schedule, it's all about making sure that the American East, that they set themselves up, that whatever happens in the American East, they've gone through a lot of battles that's going to steal them and make them a more of a competitive team, but maybe a team that's going to win it all again. I give them credit, too, because like you don't have to be as deep in the weeds as we are on this, but UVM's graduating four starters from last year's team. It would have been very easy, I think, for them to just dial the schedule back and try to pile up some wins and get some confidence for the younger players and the new players, but here they are really challenging themselves. And in those fifteen games, it's very realistic that they go six and nine or seven and you know seven and eight as opposed to what we've seen in the last few years. I give them credit for that though, because they could have just stayed home, played more home games, scheduled a couple patsies, and gone eleven and four, but they didn't do that because they're not afraid of competition. And it's no coincidence, and I don't believe in coincidences, Brady that a lot of these teams in power conferences scheduled UVM with four seniors graduating. If two of those guys had come back to their basketball team, that phone call may not have happened from the Bahamas or going out to the California trip. So we understand exactly how that game is played. And if you're UVM, you're thinking, okay, we got a young basketball team, but you know this will give us a chance to grow up quick where that learning curve won't be as steep getting into conference play after what they have a chance to deal with those 15 tough games in a non-conference schedule. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 p.m. I ha- I don't have time to get to it right now, but I have a bone to pick with your uh, partner there, Ian Fitzsimmons, saying Aaron Judge is the most popular player in baseball since Derek Jeter. I might have to take that take on here uh, uh, you know, later in the show today because I-, I didn't like that yesterday. I don't know that I buy that, Freddie. Well, well, who is it then since Derek Jeter? I would say that Otani right now is more popular than Judge. No, I, I wouldn't go that far. You know why? Because Aaron Judge plays for the New York Yankees, and as much of a global brand as Shohei Otani is, Aaron Judge going for 51 home runs, the Yankees are going to be in the playoffs and threatening that kind of mark. Because believe me, Shohei Otani is doing something we've never seen before, but he's doing it for a team that really, really stinks, for the Los Angeles Angels. He'll have to go somewhere else and be, be even more of a global brand. So I, to me, Aaron Judge is the most popular player in baseball since Derek Jeter in terms of in the United States and even worldwide because mm-hmm. so many little league players had Aaron Judge as their favorite player more than Shohei Otani. That says a lot of the marketability and the reach that he has as a Yankee player and doing what he's been able to do so far this season. I'm going to have to talk more about this later, I think. Freddie, we appreciate you. Next week, <laughs> we're going to have football prep, and I can't wait for it. Me neither, my friend. You take care and be well, my brother.